Good morning, church. Um, when Stuart asked me to share this morning, I kind of went, oh, okay. Um, but, you know, one of the things as I look back and I was thinking about it, God, what's the most important thing that I could share with you? So for those of you who are parents here this morning, whether you've got little children, babies, toddlers, or you've got adults, you know, one of the most important things for us, for Chris and I, because we both, we're empty nesters now. Both our kids are married and have flown the nest. Um, but when they were young, I, um, I remember praying and I remember asking God, um, show me how to pray, Lord. Help me to pray for my kids, for our children. And I came across a book called The Power of a Praying Parent. I don't know if any of you have got that. I remember going through that book and spending hours praying for my kids. And it's so good because you're praying scripture over your children. And it was through every stage of their lives and that. And I want to encourage you young parents as well to, to take that time. So one of the most important things I, I would say to us as parents is to pray for children. And for, the, for those of you who are family here of this church, and if you think, well, I haven't got any children, you're family and there's lots of kids around here that you can pray for as well and uh, you know in the old testament god spoke to the israelites and he said also one of the other things is is talk to your kids about the word of god he said um, speak to them bind it around their heads or their hearts you know it was like it was a constant thing is talking about god talking about his word in a way that your kids can um, understand and you know one of the things i remember for us uh, sitting around the table whenever we, when when this was when they were younger we would have dinner and after dinner we had this little book called family time or something and we would talk there was just a tiny little scripture but it was really easy to understand and then we'd talk about it and they would talk and we'd share as as well so that was one of the uh, really good things to to be able to do for us uh, and so I would want to encourage you to really take time out for your children one of the things that jesus said in uh, matthew 19 it says one day some parents brought their children to jesus so he could lay his hands on them and pray for them but the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him but jesus said let the children come to me and this is the verse don't stop them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. And he placed his hands on their heads and blessed them before he left. And this is the verse that I want to say to us as, as families and as, as parents is don't stop them. And what, what is it that can stop our kids from coming to know God more? We live in a world that's so, so busy that we have so many things, you know, and parents can have so many th things, activities for their children. You're going here, you're going there, you're going everywhere. You're doing stuff with your kids. But what this is saying is t make room for Jesus. Make room for Jesus. Firstly, to, to pray for your kids and to teach them the word of God. And thirdly, is to make room for Jesus. Make room for Jesus for your children. You know, there might be so many different things that they could be doing. I'm not saying they're wrong things. They might be good things. But we need to get our priorities right. And I would say make room for Jesus for your kids. So how, whatever that means, whether they've got a youth club here, I don't know, a, a, you know, you run a youth club or a children's club or whatever it is. That's one of the things that we actually spoke about when our kids were young. We wanted church to be an amazing place, the church family to be an amazing um, environment for them to grow up in. So we encouraged them to go to everything, kids camp, when they were young, they went to kids clubs and they, we had an, a fantastic youth group uh, for, for the kids and they were part of it. And you know, we were so vocal, we took them even at, at times, even if it meant it was a sacrifice for us to take them, we took them. So I just want to encourage you, parents. We believe, you know, 
I'm sure we all believe that, that God has a purpose and a plan for every person on this planet. And our children are so important, are so, so important, especially in the environment that they're growing up in. They need the word of God. They need lots of prayer. They need lots of support. And we as family, we as parents need to make room for our children to take time out to, um, yeah, to help them as much as we can and and be excited about church you know if you're never excited about church or the church family how do you expect your kids this is what we say to our parents you know talk about it this is what Jesus said and the Israelites you know when God spoke to them he says in the long journey he says talk about it when you go uh, when you're walking, talk about the word of God. In those days, they didn't have cars or anything. So anywhere took a long time. And you imagine walking with your kids for a long time and talking. You can imagine that, can't you? Their conversation and everything. So that's just what I want to encourage you with this morning is, is pray for your kids, teach them the word and make room for your kids so that they can have, get to know God for themselves. Thank you. Yeah. Amen. You ready to hear from God's word? We've had a preach already. Isn't that great? Thank you. Let's, uh, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it comes with life and vibrancy to us. And it, it comes fresh each time we read your word or we hear it. And Lord, we're, we're not asking to be entertained today, but we ask, are asking for that freshness of your word as Chris speaks. Uh, Lord, that it would arrest our hearts and encourage us. And we're needed challenges, but most of all, we pray that we'd hear you speaking to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. We've given one round of applause to Usha. Let's give Chris a round of applause as he comes to show you it. Stick this up here, I think. Yeah, it's probably better that you uh, give me a round of applause before I speak because it probably won't be worthy of it afterwards. Uh, it's great to be with you. Just want to uh, endorse what Usha's just said to you. I think one of the greatest dangers that we have today is that we abdicate responsibility as parents for shaping and moulding the primary things in our kids' lives because there's just so many influences out there and they're influenced by social media, by celebrity you know, culture, all of those things. And we have to be very proactive and very intentional because if we don't shape our kids, I am telling you there is a world out there that will shape our kids. And that's not to put uh, pressure on you. It's not to kind of put guilt trips on anybody. But we are responsible for our kids. And we've been so blessed, really. I think we often say, don't we, our kids are, both our kids are following the Lord. And they're both like really, you know, loving God and, and, and hopefully fulfilling his purposes. But we know for a fact that, that they are where they are very often despite of us rather than because of us. And uh, we know that we have been far from being perfect parents. And you've already heard from Usha, so you know who's the spiritual one in the family here. Uh, the gifted one, the one that really kind of uh, is the heavyweight when it comes spiritually. But I know Usha, we've prayed together for our kids, but I know Usha particularly has, has that's been her passion for life, has been praying for our kids. And, uh, and I know that many, many things have been averted. Many catastrophes have been averted because of the way that Usha has prayed for our kids. I would really encourage you to take that on board um, this morning. Uh, it's great to be with you and uh, it's really good to be able to share with you and I've been told that I can go on till about one o'clock so we're, we're, we're good to go. That lunch will have to be put off for a little while. I thought that was a bit discriminatory this morning uh, talking about like letting your hair down. If you're follically challenged this morning then that invitation is available for you as well. Okay so you can come and let your skin down or whatever it is that you would do but it's going to be great I'm sure on New Year's Eve. Um, it's been a good year. Uh, it has been a, I don't know what your year's been like, 2019, but for us, uh, it's been a good year. I guess for most of us, it's a bit of a mixture of the good, the bad and the ugly. I guess we've had some great things happen. It's been some, some challenging things for us. This year has been a pretty good year. It's been a mixture of all of those things. 
uh, but predominantly it's been a good year. We've, we've seen some great things happen in our family, um, you know, with Nay and, and, and with Josh and the things that Josh is doing at the moment. Uh, my brother and his wife had their first uh, baby uh, girl this uh, just a few months ago as well after, you know, a couple of years of trying with IVF and all of that. We had a big 80th for my mum this year. Um, 80th birthday celebration. Uh, we as a church have done what you have done. We have kind of re replanted or we've rebooted a church about 20 minutes from us and we're really getting involved there and we're seeing God you know, really powerfully at work. We've, we've been to loads of weddings and stuff all through this year. So overall, it's been a good year. But uh, I want to just tell you about something that by far has outstripped all of that for me this year. And it started last year at Christmas. We had a, a Christmas special at the bridge last year. And uh, every now and again when we put something on, uh, my dad comes over. My dad lives in, uh, in Feltham, in Middlesex. We live obviously now East London. And every now and again, you know, just to see us, my dad and his partner will come over to church now and again. They come once a year maybe or once every couple of years just to see us. And uh, my dad came over to our Christmas special last year. My dad, not a Christian, not really been interested in Christian things all of his life. Um, he's 83 now and he came to our Christmas thing and we had a bit of lunch, we had a family lunch afterwards and he just came up to me and he said, uh, he said, Chris, he said, I think in the, in the and it's how way he speaks, I think in the new year I might start going to church. So I kind of went, okay, that's cool. That's great. That's amazing. Dad, that's really good. I uh, don't know where that's come from, but that's really good. Yeah, I think I might start going to church in the new year. So in the January, he started to go to a vineyard church in Feltham. And uh, at the beginning of the year, I'd pop around to see my mum and I went to see him while I'd gone to see my mum and had a few moments with him. I said, oh, you go? Yeah. He said, yeah, I've been, I've been going along for a couple of weeks. He said, it's really good. He said, every time I get there, the bloke up the front gives a, gives a little talk and always seems like he's talking to me. He says, and I said, well, that's how it works, Dad. I said, you know, when you, when you commit your ways to God, God begins to speak to you. And I'm thinking, oh, this is quite good. Maybe my dad will find a few friends in the church. You know how you, you sort of think about it. And maybe he'll get, get alongside a few people and get a little bit involved. And, you know, maybe in a couple of years' time, he might really become quite a regular. You know, there's me full of faith, thinking all of this kind of stuff. I think, oh, it's good. It's a good start, you know. Anyway, end of Jan... I'd popped to see my mum again and I thought, well, I'll pop round, we'd have a quick cup of tea with my dad before we came home. And I went round and they said, oh, are you still going to church? He's like four or five weeks on. He said, amazing. I said, what? He said, it was a Monday, it was a Monday evening. He'd gone to church on the Sunday. He said, amazing. I said, what? He said, I went to church. He said, I prayed on the Saturday. He said, Lord, I want you to speak to me. He said, I went to church on the Sunday he said, the guy at the front gets up and starts speaking about guilt and shame and about how God can set you free, about how Jesus has come to set us free from guilt and shame. I'm going, yeah, yeah. He said, he said and it was like he was talking to me. I went, right. He said at the end of the meeting, he called us, you know, anyone that wanted to make a decision up the front. He said, and I felt I needed to make a response it's my dad speaking, right? Totally like not into Christianity, never been into church for 80 years. Goes up the front and he looked me in the eyes. And every time I say this, I almost well up when he said, he looked me in the eyes and said, Chris, he said, I come home. He says, I come home. He says, I've, I've come to Jesus. Jesus has changed my life. We're sat there in tears in my dad's living room because Usha was with me. We're sat there in tears like thinking, this is amazing. I'm thinking it'll take a couple of years, get a few friends in the church, you know, maybe he'll kind of get connected to church. Mate, God has zapped him in like four weeks. And I'm telling you, the man is completely and utterly transformed. Okay? So on that day, we're there that evening. I get on the internet, go to Amazon. Dad, I'm going to buy you a Bible. Oh, all right, that'd be great. So I buy him a Bible, uh, big, big letters so that he can read it. And uh, got it on order. It came the following day, right? He is now one and a half times through the Bible. 
Okay, he started reading it in January. So he reads it every day. He's got books and books and books of notes that he's making. And he keeps phoning me up. So what's this all about? What's this all about? So he loves Paul. Phoned me up one day. He says, oh, I love Acts. He said, I, I said, really? I'm like, oh, this is like amazing. He said, yeah, I love it. He said, I really like that Paul. I said, why? He said, because Paul really tells it as it is, don't he? And I went, yeah, he does, Dad. He says, oh, I like him. He's a real straight talker. So he's like really into this. He's gone through the Bible once. He's now halfway through it again. He's now on the welcome team at the church. He's now serving in the food bank in the church. He said to me a few weeks ago, I really feel that I need to start giving to the church. No one's prompted him. No one's preempted him. He's just, that's just a response of his heart. The man is completely and utterly transformed. Two weeks after I've had this conversation with my dad, I go to see my mum and I need to give you a bit of background because 25 years ago, my dad walked out on my mum. And uh, my dad is one of these kind of charmers. He's a charming guy. He's a really nice fellow. You know, all his life, he's been one of those life and soul kind of guys. But it's always been about him. And he's made decisions without any thought of consequences to other people. And he left my mum 25 years ago and went off with his, his partner and, and what have you. And... Um, and uh, so I went to see my mum, and they, they've got a decent relationship. They're good friends. He goes to see her, always has, and supports her, and all of that, and, and what have you. And I said, oh, mum, you know, I heard about dad. He said, yeah. He said, your dad came to see me. And I went, really? He said, yeah, your dad came to see me. I said, what was that all about? And he said, uh, he came to apologise. And I'm thinking, this is just not my dad, because my dad lives in his own world and stuff that, the consequences of his life, he don't even think about how his choices and decisions have impacted other people, okay? And uh, he said, he came, he came to, he said, and his words to my, my mum were, I know that Jesus has forgiven me for my guilt and shame, but I really need you to forgive me as well. And this is not the kind of language that, that, that my dad would have. My mum, you know, said, yeah, and, and, and you know, they've, they've sort of reconciled to some degree all of that. I didn't have any idea that my dad was even holding on to that guilt and shame. I had no idea that that was even going. I always just thought, well, my dad does what my dad does, and, that, and that's what he does. And he's done that for 83 years, well, or, you know, since he's been conscious of what, who he is and stuff. But, you know, he's 83 years, he's done his own thing. At 83, God has completely transformed his life. It has been awesome. It's been the biggest thing that's happened to us in terms of seeing the power of God at work, seeing the power of a transformed life. And, uh, and I, I was sharing some weeks ago at, at, at something, and, and, and the thought came to me, and really this is what I want to talk to you about a little bit this morning, and it's this, it's, it's, it's this very simple phrase, it's not how you start, but it's how you finish. It's not how you start, but it is our, how you finish. In fact, it's not even about where you are right now and what's going on in your world right now that defines you. It's about where God wants you to be and what God is doing in your life and how God is at work in your life. And I've seen that happen. My dad, 83 years away from God, and we're all thinking, because it's one of those things, you know, even as a pastor, even as a leader, someone that's been a Christian a whole bunch of years, you know, I've got that mentality. I know God could do it, but I never actually thought that God would do it. And I, and I admit to that. And, and it's, it's, it's funny, isn't it? We have a theoretical kind of confidence and a theoretical faith in that we know that God can do it, but somehow inside we're going, yeah, but you won't never do it with that person. You know, that person's just never, ever going to bow the knee. That person's never going to come to Jesus. That person's never going to see the reality of what's going on in their life. And we've seen an incredible change around in my dad's life. And he's absolutely going on with God now. And he's totally on fire for God. Every time I speak to him now, all he wants to talk about is the Lord. All he wants to talk about is what Jesus has done in his life. It is awesome. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. It's not where you are right now that counts. And you might see in your circumstances things that just look unchangeable. Hey, God can do incredible things when we believe, when we trust. I, we was a, a few weeks ago, we was at a teen challenge um, 
had been asked to speak at a Teen Challenge uh, graduation at the London branch of Teen Challenge. I serve on the board there and they asked me to come and, and, and we shared and, and there were seven uh, men that were graduating uh, from the Teen Challenge program. Some of you will have heard of that and many of you may be familiar with that. And uh, these seven guys all got up and told their story and we just sat there absolutely blown away. You all know Teen, Ch Teen Challenge is a, uh, uh, a drug rehabilitation centre. It's now worldwide. It started, was started by a guy called David Wilkerson. Maybe some of you have heard of the Cross and the Switchblade and Run Baby Run, the story of Nicky Cruz, how David Wilkerson went into the gang heartland of New York and really began an incredible work that has now seen thousands and thousands and thousands of people all around the world be released from drugs. There's a London centre, that's what I was, I was part of. And, and, and when these guys came up to tell their stories, they, they put the photographs of them when they came into the centre. And the transformation in their lives was incredible. Even physically, the transformation was incredible. You know, they would come in haggard and, and just basically off the streets and, 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 and sleeping on the curbs and sleeping in the, you know, the shop uh, doorways and all of that kind of stuff. They would come in and then these guys were getting up the front with their suits on and they were vibrant and they had life in their eyes and they were talking about how Jesus had changed their lives. And I said to them, hey guys, you know, it's not about how you started. It's not about where you were it's about now who you're going to become and you see the reality is that God understands our past and God has always been with us in our past and God understands where you are right now but he doesn't focus on who you are right now he is focused on who you can become in him because God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for my life. And we mustn't allow the, the lens of our past or the circumstances that we're currently in to rob us of the destiny and the calling that God has placed on each and every one of our lives. It's not about where you are right now. It's about where God is taking you. It's not about how you start, it's about how you finish. I'm a big cricket fan. Any cricket fans in the house? What a summer. What an awesome summer. World Cup. And then that, that awesome test match at Headingley with Ben Stokes. You know, when he comes in and he, he gets this incredible century and he turns the whole game around and becomes one of the, the greatest matches ever in, in history. If you were following that, if you're part of that, many of you have already switched off, I know. You're going, cricket? What on earth are you talking about cricket for? Um, and, and you may not even understand what this means. But in the first 66 balls of his innings, he scored two runs. He's, it was the, actually the slow, he was the slowest English cricketer in a test match to ever get to double figures. He didn't start very well. It took him 74 balls for him to hit his first boundary. But he went on to score one of the greatest centuries and win one of the greatest matches that cricket has ever seen. He didn't start well, but he finished well. You might recognize this. When this person was seven years old, his family was forced out of their home on a legal technicality. He had to go to work to support them. At age nine, his mother died and at 22, he lost his job as a store clerk. He wanted to go to law school, but his education wasn't good enough. At 23, he went into debt to become a partner in a small store. At 26, his business partner died, leaving him with huge debts that took years to repay. At 28, after courting a girl for four years, he asked her to marry him and she said no. At 37, on his third try, he was elected to Congress, but two years later, he failed to be re-elected. At 41, his four-year-old son died. At 45, he ran for Senate again and lost. At 47, he failed as the vice presidential candidate of the, of the United States. At 49, he ran for Senate again and he lost. At 51, he was elected 
the President of the United States, and his name was Abraham Lincoln, a man that many people consider to be one of America's greatest ever leaders. Some guys get all the break, huh? Some guys get all the breaks. You see, success and achievement and accomplishment and fulfillment did not look likely for those 50 years. But it's not how you start, it's how you finish. Turn to the person next to you and preach to them this morning. It's not how you start, it's how you finish. Come on, let's do it. It's not where you are, it's where God is taking you to. You see, your start does not define your finish. Where you are right now does not define your future. You see, I love the Bible. I love the way that God over the centuries has used people of all backgrounds, failures, the 'er ne'er-do-wells, the people that, that had no hope, the worst of candidates. God has taken and God has used in incredible ways. God didn't only use the great and the strong. He took the ordinary and he made them extraordinary. He used the most unlikely people to fulfil his plans. And my challenge to you today is if things haven't gone well, if you're in a place at the moment where it just seems, you know, I just can't see how God can use me. I have nothing to offer. Then I want to give you some hope this morning. You are in great company. You are in great company. Let me give you a couple of quick examples. Joseph. Joseph's start did not define his future. We all know the story of Joseph, you know, the guy, that, the, 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 the guy with the technicolour coat. And, um, you know, his, he, he didn't start off well. His big teenage arrogant mouth got him into trouble. Because he gets this dream. God speaks to him and says, I'm going to raise you above your brothers. You're going to be a leader. And he's a, he's a bit of an idiot. So he, he keeps telling his sons, hey, you're going to bow down to me one day. I'm, a dad, I'm daddy's favourite. And one day, of course, the brothers snap and they crack. And they sell him to a a group of Ishmaelites that are coming through. And the Ishmaelites sell him on to a man called Potiphar. And he has a bit of an altercation with Potiphar's wife, who's a you know, real sort of desperate housewife. She throws herself at him one day and he runs out of there. He gets out of there. But they, they make false accusations about him, so he's thrown in prison. Stays in prison for 14 years. You see, he didn't start off well. He didn't start off well. And it gets even worse. So he, he interprets a dream for a, a, the, the cupbearer to the king and the, and the baker to the king. And, and, and those dreams come true. And, and when the cupbearer gets out of prison, he says, don't worry, I'm going to put in a good word for you to Pharaoh. And it actually says in Genesis chapter 40 that he actually thought of him no more. He forgot all about him. And so he's left in the, in the dungeon having thinking, you know, thinking, well, this guy's going to get me out and nothing happens. He's there again. Eventually, Pharaoh has a couple of dreams and they call on Joseph. Joseph comes and gives him an interpretation and then things begin to change. And he ends up being second only to Pharaoh in the land. He is reconciled to his brothers. He is reconciled to his family. And right at the very end of that story, he says, that which God, uh, that the enemy intended for harm, God has intended for good. You see, he didn't start well, but he finished well. Things didn't look good for him in those early days, but he finished well. David, you know, David's start didn't, didn't start off too well. But his start didn't define his finish. He, he, was, he was the invisible shepherd boy. So when Samuel comes to his dad's house and says, hey, God has called me to come here because I'm looking for the next king uh, over all of Israel. And, uh, and, and Jesse brings out all of his sons, all of his fighting sons. You know, he don't even think about David. David's left out in the fields with the sheep. It's like, well, no, he can never even believe that it could ever be David. I mean, completely overlooked to the point that when Samuel says, have you got any other sons? Oh, well, we've got a young kid who's out there with the, with the sheep. Why don't we bring him in? But you're not going to want to see him. Well, Samuel sees David and, and, and instantly something happens within his spirit. He says, this is the guy. And he goes through a whole bunch of stuff because God had bigger things in store for David. And I don't just mean Goliath. 
God had big things in store for David and even though it looked like he had missed his opportunity and even though it looked like he had, he, he had no options and nowhere to go, God had his hand on his life. And we read in, in Acts chapter 13 verse 36 when, when, uh, Paul, uh, when Peter's giving an account of the God and he says, and David when he had served God's purposes in his generation was laid to rest with his father's. I want that on my tombstone. How many of you want that on your tombstone? Chris, when he had served the purposes of God in his generation. See, God had a plan. Peter's start didn't, didn't, he didn't start off well. Peter was one of Jesus' friends, one of his disciples, but his, his life didn't start off well. He, he flunked out of rabbi school. The very fact that he was back with his father's business and, and, and was, was, was working as a fisherman meant that he, had, he hadn't made it through rabbi school because all of the young Jewish men at that time would have gone through the various you know, schools of ministry and you know, to train to become a rabbi and only the best of the best would end up being the ones that were called to be a rabbi. So at some point along the process, Peter and his mates hadn't made the cut. You know, they hadn't achieved the level and so they went back to their father's business of fishing. One day Jesus comes along and he spots Peter and he calls Peter and he says, come and follow me. Well, hold on a second, I flunked out. You know, I, I didn't make the grade. But Jesus sees something in Peter that Peter didn't see in himself. Paul's start wasn't great. I mean, if God was going to call somebody to take the gospel to the Gentiles, it wouldn't be the man that hated him more than anybody else. And if Arnie is the Terminator... Then Paul, he was the persecutor. I mean, he hated the Christians. He travelled all over and he gathered them together and he would, he would beat them and he would persecute them and he would put them to death. He was the arch enemy of the gospel. He was a bigoted religious extremist and he hunted down these Christian people like dogs and he killed them. Not a great candidate, I would suggest for God to use to take the gospel to the Gentiles. But God had a plan. See, God didn't define him by what was going on in his life at that point. God was defining him by who he could become. And we get defined by our circumstances. We get defined by what people have said over our lives. We get defined by so many things. The only thing that defines you young man, young woman, older woman, older man, today in this place, is who God has called you to be and what God has called you to do. It's the only thing that defines our future and can shape our future. I've got a whole load of them. We could go through bunches of them today. Ruth, she lost her husband, left with no hope, but ended up being David's great-grandmother. You know, we can go through. Sarah started out barren. She laughed in unbelief at God when God suggested who she was going to be, but ended up being the mother of the nation of Israel. Rahab started out as a prostitute. Mary Magdalene started out full of demons, but ended up being the first witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, it's not where you start, it's where you finish. It's not where you are right now. Don't be defined by it, don't be contained by it, don't be limited by your circumstances. Say, I just can't see through this. God has a plan for each and every one of us today. And what you have experienced to this point in your life does not define what is to come. The, the latter can and will be greater than the former. Because God understands your past. God was with you in your past. God is with you right now. But God is not focused on your past. He's focused on what is to come. And if we can bring ourselves into alignment with that, we can overcome so many circumstances and we can begin to move into that place where God can fulfill his purpose through us. One of the greatest examples of this and, and one, of, one of the people I really love in the Bible is a young man called Gideon. And the reason that I love Gideon so much is there is nothing heroic about him whatsoever. The man was a coward. The man was a coward. He was cowering away from the enemy when God comes to him. He has no redeeming qualities. 
We don't know much about him, but when we join his story, he's in a place of complete and utter failure. He was hiding away. The Bible says that Israel at that time were under subjection to the nation of Midian, the Midianites. And it actually says that the Midianites, you know, when you were under subjection, it wasn't just about, you know, rule and it wasn't just about servitude. The purpose of, of, of completely overwhelming a nation was to strip them of their identity, to remove their hope. And Israel were in this place where they had no hope. It actually says Midianites didn't come and take their crops, they came and destroyed the crops. They weren't after what they had, they just wanted to destroy them. And so Israel now were in a very, very low place. They were hiding away in the caves and in the mountains. And we join this story with Gideon. And he's in a, um, a, a wine press, which is something that would be inside. And he was threshing wheat in a, in a wine press. And normally you thresh wheat outside because the whole idea is you hit the wheat and the stuff goes up and the wind takes all of the rubbish away and you're left with the grain. That's the idea of threshing wheat. None of us would know about that nowadays, would we? Because we just buy it from Tesco's. Okay? But that's what used to happen. But he was inside, and it says because he was fearful that the Midianites would take away what he had. And so he's hiding away, keeping his head down, keeping his mouth shut, thinking, you know, I've just got to try and survive here. And I want you to try to translate yourself to a conversation that would have taken place in heaven at that point. Because the Bible says that God heard the cries of his people. And you can imagine God turning around to one of his angels and said, I have selected the next deliverer for Israel. And the angel saying, okay, who are we talking about? We're talking about Gideon. Okay, give me his address. Is he at a palace somewhere? Or is he at a barrack somewhere training? No, no, actually, he's hiding away at the moment um, in a wine press and he's threshing wheat. Really? Is he preparing for battle against the Midianites? No, actually, he's cowering away. Ah, okay, so God, what you want me to do is to go down now and speak to Gideon and tell him that he's a sniveling coward you know, and, and an absolute good for nothing, that he's an absolute, you know, loser. Is that what you want me to tell him? No, I don't want you to tell him that. I want you to tell him that he is a mighty man of valour. What? You can imagine the angel saying, really? I can't see anything good in that man whatsoever. How are you going to use him? He's a failure. He's a loser. You can imagine God turning to the angel saying, that's why I'm God and you're an angel. Because I see something in him that is outside of his circumstances. I see seeds of greatness in that person that his circumstances have not allowed. So I want you to go and speak to that man and I want you to tell him that he is a mighty man of valour. You can imagine the angel wandering off, muttering under his breath. I think God you've lost it here. God sees something in Gideon. God sees something in you. You might think, you know, we know that when the angel of the Lord comes to Gideon, and he comes to Gideon, by the way, there's no call up the mountain here. There's no, there's no kind of big booming voice out of the clouds, you know, and the lightning and the neon lights in the sky. Gideon, you are the man. None of that. The angel just comes to him while he's under a tree somewhere, hiding away. And says, hey, you mighty man of valour. He comes and he speaks into his situation. No great call up the mountain, no thunder, no earthquake. He comes and he says to him, hey, you're a mighty man of valour. And what's Gideon's response? Well, hold on, you, you know, I can imagine looking, there must be somebody else in the room here. There must be somebody else. He can't be speaking to me. I'm the least of my family. My family is the least in the clan. The clan is the least in the tribes. I come from the wrong side of the tracks. I think you're looking for somebody else. You're not looking for me because I know I'm a loser. And the angel just says to him, hey, God's going to strengthen you. God's going to give you the strength to be something. Gideon goes on to become the mighty deliverer of Israel. You see, God's word 
defines Gideon's future, not his current situation. Some of you need to hear that this morning. You're a mighty warrior. You're a mighty man or woman of God. Because what God sees in you is not dependent on your current circumstances. It's not dependent on your past failures. It's not dependent on how you see yourself. It's dependent on how God sees you. And your future is bright. Doesn't, I'm not saying your future is easy. Not saying there won't be struggles. Not saying there won't be challenges. But you know what? When we surrender, when we submit to the purposes and the will of God in our lives, He creates something new within us. You know God didn't stop creating at the end of the seven days. Every time God speaks, He creates You know, the Bible says that God is not like a man. He cannot lie. That doesn't just mean that he tells the truth. It means that whenever he speaks, whatever he says happens. So when God speaks over your circumstances, whether you're a young person, whether you've been a Christian for a few weeks or a few months or a few minutes, or whether you've been a Christian for 30, 40 years, or like my dad, you've not been a Christian for 80 years, God looks over you and he sees what you can become in him. Really want to encourage you with this today because God was stirring something up within Gideon that Gideon didn't even know existed within himself. There are gifts, there are talents, there are opportunities, there are callings that are in your life that God has invested in your life that you don't even know are there. And the voice of the Holy Spirit is coming to you today and he is saying to you today, hey, you are not what you think you are. You are not defined by how things are. You haven't got enough money. You haven't got enough talent. You haven't got enough qualifications. You didn't have a good education. You've messed up in your marriages in the past. You've messed up in your relationships. You're useless with money. You know, you're a loser in life. Which is what everybody else, all the other voices around you are telling you that. God is coming to you today and some of you really need to hear this. And he's saying, you are blessed. You are called of God. My hand is upon you and I am seeing your life from completion. I'm not seeing your life from where you're seeing it. It's amazing how we can see things differently depending on the lens that we look through, isn't it? And God looks at your life and my life from completion. You know, the Bible says that he is the Alpha and the Omega. God dwells outside of time. He doesn't see the snapshot of where you are right now and say, well, things are not good for you at the moment, so you're obviously not going to be somebody I can use. God dwells outside of that. He he looks at your life for completion. He looks at seeing what you can become and what you can achieve in him. And he sees what God can be, uh, what uh, Gideon can be, not what he is. He sees what Gideon can achieve, not what he has achieved to that point. He sees the finished product. And he knows exactly where you are right now. And he knows exactly where you have been. And he knows exactly what you have been through. And he knows about all of your failures. Make no mistake, God knows about all of your failures. But you know that failure doesn't mean that you're a failure. To fail doesn't mean that you're a failure. Failure is not terminal. Failure, in fact, can be a stepping stone to success. Failure actually can be a learning process whereby we can, we can grow through that and become the person that God wants us to become. Many, many, many years ago, we were involved with a, a, a Canadian evangelist, a guy called Brent Shepherd. I don't know if you remember a guy called Brent, who's Lowell Shepherd's brother. And he came over and he, he told us the story about a, a, a youth camp that he wanted to get started in Canada. And he said, we had this idea for a new youth camp. We had this idea to do something completely fresh. And we got a team of people together and we put this youth camp on. And he said, and we worked really hard to make it happen. And he said, it was an absolute failure. He said, everything went wrong. Logistically, everything went wrong. Ministry-wise, everything went wrong. He said, it was an absolute disaster. He said, we got together some months after to talk about what had happened. And we planned for the following year. And we made a few changes and we corrected a few mistakes. He said the following year, we ran the youth camp again. He said, and it was an incredible success. He said, young people were coming to know Jesus. They were getting filled with the Holy Spirit. There were healings. There was all kinds of things going on. He said, it was amazing. He said, but the second one was a success because the first one was a failure. And that made the first one a success as well. 
Guys, we can't look at our past failings and say, that disqualifies me from who God wants me to be. You've got to hear the word of the Lord today. Because God's plans for you are far more expansive than even your own plans. I love that passage, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, verse 9. It says, no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor has the mind even conceived of the things that God has in store for those that love him and called to his purpose. Do you love Jesus this morning? Do you love Jesus this morning? If you love Jesus this morning, his hand is on you and he's got a great purpose for you. Your eye hasn't seen it, your mind hasn't even conceived of it yet. But God has great things in store for you. Because it's not where you start, it's how you finish. It's not where you are, it's where you can be. It's not what you've done, it's what God can do through you this morning. God's calling us to a higher place. And Gideon became God's agent of change. And, 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 I, and I don't say this with, with kind of just kind of some bravado and just, to, you know, God only has a plan A. You are plan A. I am plan A. God has no contingency. God has no plan B. We are it. And the world would scream at us and our past would scream at us and things that have been said over us in the past, you know, that lodge itself in our spirit and in our mind, they would limit us and contain us. Today, I want to encourage you. If, if God can take an 83-year-old completely not interested in him and can change his life around and give him purpose for whatever he has left, then he can do it for you this morning. He can do it for you this morning. If God can take a guy who is hiding away, trying to keep his head down and his mouth shut and, and cowardly not engaging with the, with the world that's around him and God can come and give him a new identity and say, I have called you to be a mighty man of valour, then he can do that for you and he can do that for me today. Because it ain't where you start, it's where you finish. It's not where you are, it's where God wants you to be. And this is just not positive thinking. Okay, this is not just, oh, come on, think, you know, think more positively about yourself and, you know, sort of smarten yourself up and sort yourself up because, you know, no, 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 this is, this is biblical stuff today. This is, this is God's plans and God's purposes for your life. And I'm sure if, if any of you have been in church for a while, you, you'll know Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. It's quoted so much in church. And God says, I know the plans that I have for you, plans not to harm you, but to give you a hope and a future. How many of you know that that was spoken to a nation that was in exile? It was spoken to a nation that had, had its identity stripped, had its religion stripped, had its spirituality stripped. In fact, if you read through the book of Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah is a bit of a kind of a downer book if you, if you want to kind of look at it in those terms. There's a lot of gloom and condemnation and, you know, he, he brings warning after warning to the nation of Israel. You know, he was the real sourpuss of his day. But there's these few chapters in the middle which are called the Book of Consolation. I think it's from about chapter 28 through to like chapter 32, 33. Read it. And in the midst of all of these warnings and all of this kind of doom and gloom, he begins to speak hope into a nation that have been exiled for years and years and years. And he says, hey, you know, I know your circumstances. I see where you are. I see where you've been. But here, listen, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. So can we stand together this morning? Not been particularly deep this morning. I've been thinking about what to bring today and, you know, you can bring all... I had the idea, you know what a lot of preachers do? They kind of go through their book and they look to see what was, the, what was a really good sermon and I'll just bring a really good sermon. Well, I'm not like that mainly because I don't have any good sermons, okay? But, and I just thought, okay, God, what do you want to bring? And that phrase came to me, a phrase that I used a few weeks ago when I was talking to these guys. That phrase came to me, and I really believe it's a phrase that God wants you to, to, you to adopt today. Because I don't know where you're from, I don't know. You might be in a great place at the moment, by the way. God still doesn't look at you where you are now. He still says, hey, there's greater things to come, greater things you will do. 
But specifically, you know, if you're in a place right now and you feel a bit like a Gideon or you feel a little bit, you know, like a Joseph and you've been in the prison for 14 years and you're thinking, God, when is this thing going to end? When are my, your dreams over my life? When is your calling over my life going to kick in? When is it going to be activated? I'm here to say today, hey, God is at work in ways that you can't even imagine. God has given you a new identity. He's called you out of that place and he's called you into a place of fulfillment. So why don't we just close our eyes for a moment. I'm going to finish now, hand over to the guys. And I want you to think about what I've said today. As I say, it's not deep, but I do believe the spirit is in this. And I believe that, that, that this is a word that for some of you, this is hitting you right where it needs to hit you because you're right in that place and you think it's all over and you think that, you know, your past disqualifies you from your future. The things that you're in at the moment, you can't see the wood for the trees. You can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. And God is saying to you, hey, I have plans for you. If you'll commit to to my ways, if you'll believe what I say about you, if you'll learn from your past, but uncouple yourself from your past so that I can bring you into something new and something fresh, then the possibilities are endless. The possibilities are endless for you this morning. So if that's you, I'm just going to ask you just to really simply lift your hand right now, right where you are, and I want to pray over you. Come on, lift it nice and high. And, uh, and you're not responding to what I've said this morning, but I want you to respond to that small, still voice in your spirit that says, hey, this is for you today because I know how you've been feeling. I know how you've been thinking about yourself and I know how you've been thinking about your circumstances and this word is for you. So take it and apply it and believe it because it will transform your future. Father, you see our hands, many hands across this room, You see us lifting up. It's because we're yearning for more. We know that there is more. We know that there is more to come than what we have currently experienced at this moment in our lives. And I want to speak your your purpose. I want to speak a, a fresh destiny over these lives this morning. Lives that have been crushed. Lives that have been trampled. Dreams that have been trampled. Callings, promises, prophecies that have been trampled on, that have been covered up, that have been lost in the busyness and the routines and the failures of life. And Father, we want to resurrect them this morning because we know that you don't look at us today from where we are. You look at us from where we can be, where we can be and what we can become. So Lord, this is not just a nice little phrase, a little positive thinking phrase this morning. This is the word of the Lord over these, these lives, over these hands that are raised this morning. Father, would you do something in us today? Holy Spirit, would you change us? Holy Spirit, would you give us new eyes to see? Would you give us new ears to hear? Would you give us a new heart to receive the promises of God into our lives today? And know that as we get up in the morning and we go into the workplace or we meet with our neighbours or our families and we confront those impossible situations again and again and again, that you are the God of the impossible. That there is nothing that is impossible for you. There is nothing that our God cannot do. There is nothing that our God has not done. And there's nothing that our God will not do in the future. Father, just give us a fresh vision and a fresh understanding of you this morning. And for everyone with their hands raised, Lord, right now, just just deposit something in us. Just take away the the blinds. Just take away the scowls from our eyes, Lord. Spiritually enlighten us today so that we can see ourselves in the way that you see us and know that you have great plans for us. We ask this in the name of Jesus this morning for your glory and for your glory alone. Amen.